0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit wholefoodsmarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you.
1: I know you've been recycling your glass, plastic, and paper goods, but are you upcycling food waste? Stay tuned to this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I really hope every single one of them is listening to Tech Bytes, the weekly show where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. And today we are talking about upcycling and food waste, which is a topic that is super important, really popular in the news, and I kind of can't believe it's taken us three years to get to it. TechBite started in January 2015. So yeah, we've been on the air for a while. And if you've been listening, if you're a long-time listener or short-time listener, you know that we start off every show talking about apps apps we love, old favorites that have been living on our home screens for 10 years, or maybe a new one that you've just discovered. So joining us today is Bertha Jimenez, who is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Rise, and we're going to get to her upcycled food products very shortly. But before we do, Bertha, thank you for coming.
2: Hi, thank you for having me here.
1: And do you have an app that you really love right now? The only rule is that you are not allowed to talk about an app that you own, designed, or invest in.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like this app called Mango Health. Mango Health. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have a chronic disease, and I have to take a bunch of medications. And apart, like you have to like be conscious about your like health habits like you have to walk, you have to take enough water and all these things and it's a, like you know you can track your medicines sometimes like it's easier I think to track your medicines but all the habits that you have to do for your health style, for your lifestyle it's a little bit tough or you have to have like 500 million apps so with the app you can have everything on one it, is, it even tells me like hey move more or stuff like that and, and I'm not very good at Drinking water, <laughs> so it also reminds me to drink more water. So I really like this app. I've been having it for like uh, maybe like a few months now. So Mango Health, so it
1: helps you. You create like a profile and the things that mm-hmm. you need to do, and it helps you track them. And then it also reminds you to do things. Yes, also yes. yes. If you haven't input enough glasses of water or something like that, does it remind yeah, you to yeah, drink?
2: Yeah, yeah. If you haven't drink, like you know, you're supposed to drink two liters, and you haven't eaten Drink enough. They'll tell. It tells you like, snooze you like. Drink more water. Uh, yeah. So I also like. Uh, it's like a point system, and you can if you like accumulate points. You can also donate to your favorite charity. Okay. So that's that, cool. Yeah. So like. So it
1: gamifies your healthy lifestyle habits. Yes. Yes. Some of which are desirable, and some of which are mandatory if yeah. you're dealing with a, a specific issue or illness. Yeah. Is it a free app? Yeah, it's
3: free.
2: It's and are
1: you on iOS or Android? Android. Android. Okay.
2: But I used to have an iPhone, and I also had that app. So so we know it's both. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, great. Mango Health. That's good. We haven't had a health app. Usually our entrepreneurs are into productivity apps. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of Trello. Um, And today we have a new voice on the show. I want to welcome Amanda Wang, who is our engineer for the day. Amanda, welcome. How's it going back there in mission control?
3: Hello, it's okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Today's your second day running the decks back there?
3: Uh, Well, I did it last Thursday, so this is my second day. Yes, correct.
1: Okay. How's it going so far?
3: So far, so good. (laughs) Hopefully everything runs smoothly.
1: Yep. So far, so good in here also. Do you have an app that you really love right now?
3: Yes, an oldie, but a goodie. Uh, Google Calendars mm. is my best friend.
1: <laughs> Why?
3: Um, just because you can color code everything. It's just, the way that the entire thing just flows. It just just works so well. I mean, I'm, since I'm still a student as well, um, it just makes everything just super easy, super efficient. Um, yeah, it works for me. I don't actually use like a paper planner um google calendar is like that's that's my planner
1: <laughs> do you use gmail also or any of the other google products
3: yes google google is like my best friend
1: <laughs> and you are not worried about that whole google reading your email to sell marketing information scandal thing that I happened mean, recently unless
3: they want to see how much debt i'm in for student loans that um but honestly not really <laughs>
1: We had uh, 25-year-old CEOs on the show a couple weeks ago. And mm-hmm. we just did a show about what it's like to be a millennial CEO focusing on a millennial generation. Um, and you know, one of the interesting points that one of them made is that having grown up with social media and computers and the internet, his default setting just personally is that he assumes everybody's like reading everything and looking at everything. And it doesn't really bother him.
3: Yeah, I think I would definitely agree with that. I think there's also a certain element of you needing to be careful about what you post online. Um, Emails, I mean, I don't have anything, like, super, super personal other than, like, my (laughs) student debt. I mean, if if anyone wants to see that, then sure. But, um, I mean, same thing goes with Facebook or Twitter. I mean, just I think it's good advice for everybody just to, you know, take a... Take a second thought about, you know, like what you say, yep. um, because you don't know who's reading it.
1: That's true. And probably lots of people anyway. I mean, my feeling is that if you're going to put it online or electronic, then you have to be ready just for lots of people to see it eventually at some point. Concurred. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. Good luck back there. So far, so good.
3: <laughs> Thank you.
1: So today we have Bertha Jimenez, who, as I said, is CEO and co-founder of a company called Rise. If you want to take a look at them while you're listening to the show, their website is riseproducts.co, C-O. If you want to follow them on social media, they are at Rise Products on Instagram and Twitter. They are upcycling ingredients. What does that even mean? Well, we know what recycling is, right? When you throw away your plastics and your papers and your glass bottles, and they get turned into more paper and plastics and glass bottles. Or in some instances now things like yoga pants and flats <laughs> and shoes and different stuff like that. But what is upcycling? Well, upcycling, conceptually, recycling tends to take away value from the initial product. But upcycling, upcycling theoretically, is to give more value to the potential waste product. And upcycling in the food world basically centers around food waste that you would throw away, you know, things like if you were making fresh squeezed orange juice and you had all those dead orange rinds and orange carcasses, what would you do with those? Well, if you could turn them into something edible and delicious, that would be upcycling. In the case of Rise Products, they have some interesting patent technology, and their first uh, industry that they're working with is breweries. So when you make beer... You have grains and hops, and then you have a bunch of that left over from the grain process. So they are upcycling the wasted grains into edible, usable superflowers. So that's the sort of the general concept of upcycling. And if we want to talk about why upcycling is potentially important in today's day and age with so much food manufacturing... There's good food manufacturing, you know, people doing great things. There's terrible food manufacturing when we think about the industrial farm complex. But if you go to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations website, they have a lot of interesting stats there. Things like 1.3 billion tons of food is wasted every year from food processing. And in the United States, that... The US portion of that amounts to about $680 billion lost a year. So these are huge, huge, huge numbers of things. So, Bertha, were you interested in sort of taking a bite out of these just gigantic numbers and problems?
2: Uh, Well, I think we were interested more of like, we started more of like from the environmental side from like, yeah, for the problem, like we laid like of course later on we saw like okay there's also a financial uh, piece of it component. But it was more about like as you said, like so much so much products go to waste. So and usually the solutions for the people is like let's uh, let's compost it, which is not bad, but it's not the, the best solution that you can have or Let's do, I don't know, like send it to the animal feed. So our solutions that are probably like easier to do, but if we see like the US EPA pyramid of what you should do with like the excess or byproducts, the first thing is of course reducing in the source, but the second one is uh, feeding to uh, uh, humans. So that's why we are like, you know, like if we go by that pyramid where they tell us, you know, how to think about resource. We should try to maximize what we have instead of decreasing the value. So that's kind of how it happens.
1: Because typically, and it, you know, if you've ever, people who are listening, if, it, it's, if it's hard to sort of wrap your head around the idea of what we're talking about when we talk about food waste. You know, think about making a recipe for something at home. You know, think about if you're juicing juice or if you're peeling potatoes or every morning when you make coffee, you know, you have coffee grounds or if you've started making your own, you know, nut milks or soy milks and you create these things and then you have a a leftover food product. So I think a lot of people do do composting, which is basically putting it back into the ground, which is not bad. Um, On the industrial level, if you are making, you know, soy milk on a super large scale cuz you're a company and you have all those leftovers what are you doing with them so a lot of times it does go to animal feed because you know animals will eat lots of different things um and then it circulates back into the world that way but if people were eating it then that would also potentially decrease the the production required for different things as well no
2: yes Yes, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's it is, is a little bit of a hard concept to explain because basically it comes from this concept called industrial symbiosis. That means the byproduct of a company can become the raw material for another company. So uh, if you sit in a kind of like in a house level, if I'm having coffee and the coffee ground, I can use it either for composting and it goes back to the uh, back to the ground. Or maybe I can use it as a a replacement for a cosmetics crop. And then, in a way, I'm making it kind of like, again, an ingredient. And I'm making it uh, having more value than going back to the ground. It's not that one is bad. It's just like... One is better. One is
1: better. Gives more value to something. And then potentially replaces another crop that you would have to grow. Yes. So how is it that you... It seems so logical now when we talk about it, like, you know, oh, breweries, they're making beer, they have all the, you know, the hops and the barley, and then they just throw it out, and we're going to make flour out of it. That seems to make so much sense, and it's so simple, but my guess is that it probably wasn't so obvious when you started.
2: No, 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 no. It wasn't obvious at all, uh, actually, because one of the reasons, like, uh, my background is I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer. And I was doing my PhD in technology management, so I have no background in food. My co-founder has also engineer or math backgrounds. And I have a and we have one on the business side. So we don't have like a person that saw it kind of like immediately and said like, hey, we can make food. You know, we have did a tons of research because we are PhDs and masters, so that's what we do best. And there was a lot of applications of the grain. One of them was food. But there was also application for construction material, for enzymes, for cosmetics. And probably because we are engineers, we like to kind of like do a lot of things. So actually at the beginning, we did a lot of mini, mini prototypes of what we can do. And we also like started like giving it to people that we saw could be like, You know, we gave it to to a farmer. He liked it. Uh, We also went, and actually, I think, like, the moment that we were, like, thinking, like, okay, we have to do something more stable was when we went to a chef. But we gave it as the spangrain looks like. So we haven't transformed it at all. So, like, if you haven't seen a spangrain, it looks like oat. Like like oats, oatmeal or something oat like that, like that kind of know. gray and yeah, porridgey and porridgey. Well, it's more like brownie, maybe yeah,
1: a little paper bit paper mache. Yeah, kind it's of. like maybe glue yeah. or something you would spackle your bathroom with, as much as something you would eat.
2: Yeah. So he, the first he, his first reaction was to tell us to get out of his kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Why we want to bring like crap waste right. into his kitchen? So mm-hmm. we are like, okay, you know, we are doing something wrong. He hated it so much. And that's why, like, actually, that's when we started, like, doing, like, different prototypes. And among the prototypes we make apart from, you know, like, the ones, like, we make cosmetics, we make uh, construction material, we make paper, we made made soaps, uh, we make, I think, like, pet treats. And then we also ate it, you know, to see, you know, what we was. like, yeah. what we didn't like. We didn't like the texture. We didn't like the fact that it, like, uh, it spoils pretty quickly. Uh, but then we understood, like, you know, okay, we like the flavor, you know. So, like, the we- best way to stabilize this is through dehydration. Mm-hmm. So, after it's dehydrated, kind of like the format that is very familiar for people is a flower. Right. So then, when we have the flower format, we went again, not to that same chef because he was already thrown out of his kitchen, but to Decided to, to start fresh with somebody yeah, new. <laughs> with another chef that we saw that uh, he was very into like uh, nutritious food and local. So we went to the chef, and actually, he really liked it. And he has told us that. He has even tried to create something with grain but with the grain fresh, and he hasn't been able to do anything. So he was happy that he can work with a flower format. So that's kind of like how we started. It, it didn't come for us so... Quickly. Quickly, especially. Like, our background is not in food. It's more in process, so...
1: Well, the interesting thing is... Um, I... So the, the, the final product that you have, which is the whole barley super flours, you have a dark one and a light one. It has 12 times the fiber and two times the protein of regular flour, which is amazing um, just in terms of the product itself. I feel like I see so many alternative flours on the market now and so many different types of uh, flours for different kinds of baking that it's really for a, a no-carb movement. On the bal, on on the one hand, people don't Mm want to eat any grains or breads or carbs. Now there's that whole keto paleo group that wants absolutely nothing to do with them. On the flip side of that, there's a a really big baking resurgence and cooking and using all different kinds of grains and everything. Um, So it's an interesting. I think it's interesting two trends that are diametrically opposed, but are both very very strong. And then in terms of your ingredients, I think I read on your website that there are 42 million tons of discarded grains annually from the national brewing processes.
2: Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, it's huge. And if we see it as a potential to change it to food, actually, we could feed potentially the whole population of South America, which is dearly from me because that's where I'm from.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. So, what is your ratio of um, the spent grains from the brewery to producing the flour? You say you dehydrate for, yeah. is that the so you re- walk us through what the actual process is just because it's fascinating. Sure. I And as f- much as you can, talk to us about the super science patent <laughs> pending technology you have without yeah. revealing any trade secrets, of course.
2: <laughs> yeah, because then my team members and my lawyer
1: will. Insofar as you can share with us before sure. these things become official.
2: Sure, sure. Um, so basically what you want to do is like if you see a grain like a barley or whatever other grains, they're like the husk which is like the outside part and then um, uh, I don't remember the name now right now but the part that is inside that's what it carries most of the proteins the and grain
1: fats. piece or something yeah kind of like yeah.
2: yeah and so the husk is the one that carries the fiber and the other one is that carries you know the other part so basically what we do is like we dehydrate different parts with different processes and um, it's basically kind of like an arrange of process uh, that we use mechanical process because if you use chemical, you start like to change, to the, change the, the nature, com- of, what the nature
1: of what it is. Most chemicals are not great anyway.
2: Yeah. Also, like you know, like uh, a chemical, uh, you you know maybe you can struct more of the proteins or stuff like that, but. You will lose the flavors, and from you know actually one of the things that has what our biggest competitive advantage, I think, is the flavor that we're able to kind of like remain with the flavors. Uh, so, y- what is the what is the grain? The, what does the
1: spent grain look like when you get it from the brewery? Does it look like a giant sure. a it's, giant thing of
2: oatmeal? It's like imagine a giant scene of oatmeal, but instead of like that whitish it's more like a brownish right you know then how
1: do you separate the different pieces the different parts of it for the dehydration process Uh, and if it's like a
2: big mass that's kind of like that's where
1: Uh, the secret is that's
2: where the secret
1: is (laughs) that's the science
2: secret yeah so that's uh we got that we got the we get this mash so uh, literally we go to their to their boilers and we take it out to our food grade containers and then we take it and <coughs> start processing, you know. And that's after it goes dehydrated, it's kind of like a, it's like a dry grain. Mm-hmm. So you just process it as a, as a grain for a a regular milling like for a, flour. Yeah.
1: So what's the ratio in terms of um, the spent grain down to the flour?
2: Uh. Yeah, because there's some moisture content, right? Especially
1: if you're dehydrating, then that's taking the water out, so it's going to reduce the the volume and the quantity
2: very quickly. Yes, so the moisture content, approximately, the bar is a little bit, but it's between 75 to 85% of moisture. Mm -hmm. So we dehydrated until something like below 8% moisture. So it's a ratio of 1%, to five or one to four point five, you know, around that, because basically you're losing the right. water weight, and then when we mill it, uh, it it dehydrates like three more points, so we go below around four uh, percent. So uh-huh. you're somewhere
1: around like 20%, twenty percent, 25 percent ish. So yes, whatever you recover of the. If you're recovering 100 pounds of spent grain, you're going to produce about 20 20
2: pounds pounds of flour.
1: 20 pounds, 22 pounds, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, she brought some uh, whole barley super flour brownies that we're going to try during the break. (laughs) Stay with us. We're going to hear from our sponsors. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501? C3 501 C3 nonprofit and that we keep the lights on and the mics hot entirely out of the gener- generosity of our members, listeners like you, our underwriters and grants. So stay tuned and see who the amazing company is who's supporting the show today. Stay with us. Just joining us, and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on. This is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we are talking about upcycling food waste. And if you don't know what that means, think about when you make coffee in the morning and you have all those coffee grounds left over and you throw them away. Well, upcycling would be taking that food waste and turning it into something delicious perhaps an ingredient for somebody else we are with bertha jimenez who is ceo and co-founder of a company called rise and they are upcycling ingredients currently their product line focuses on upcycling spent grains from beer breweries and they take the spent grains and they turn it into super flowers you can buy the flowers on their own to cook with as an ingredient they also make them into brownies which we are breaking into right now because bertha brought us all brownies which we love we love it when (laughs) guests bring snacks and gifts it doesn't happen as much as you might think it does um but we love that so we brought some um into the back booth for amanda our engineer to try amanda did you get a chance to try those yet i'm still opening mine
3: Yes, and I'm currently savoring it to the best of my tongue's ability. <laughs> Which
1: one did you? We have two. We have a chocolate chip one and a and a nut one.
3: I opened it, the chocolate chip one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How does it rate as a brownie? Are you a brownie chocolate person?
3: I am, I usually am not, but I do really like brownies. Um, there's an interesting kind of almost. Not exactly earthy flavor to it. I don't know how quite to describe it, but it's very good.
1: It's not nutty. It's like that malty flavor, that yeah, malt barley yeah. flavor. They're not too sweet either. They're very moist. Pretty good. I mean, if you didn't know that it was barley flour, you wouldn't know. I think. I'm eating the nut one.
3: I agree. I agree.
1: So. I'm going to talk with my mouth full. <laughs> Bertha, how did you decide on brownies as the first product? Second well, product after the flour sure. ingredient.
2: So one of the things, like, uh, most of our business is B2B. So most of our clients are chefs, bakers, and food manufacturers. So they they actually, like, uh, like one of, like, one of my favorite products, it's like from my first client who is uh, in, he's in, uh, in Park Slope. He, has, he makes shortbread cookies. And one of the things like when we were like talking with individuals, they have like they like the whole idea, but not too many people bake. So we did uh, try to make some even like some mixes like uh, like brownie mixes But then still like some people are kind of like, no, you know, I just want to eat it. So actually, this recipe was developed by the Institute of Culinary Education. I was just like, you know, we just we just saw it was like pretty good. So and it's pretty easy to make. So that's how we ended up doing brownies.
1: So when you were first starting your company, when did you start your company? When did you start Rise. A few years ago, I first encountered you at the Foodex Accelerator.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so
1: at the brewery in Brooklyn, actually, I believe, when they had yeah, an event yeah, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. new class, the new cohort.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, it was so officially we are incorporated in January two thousand seventeen. Okay. Uh, of course, the research of doing all these prototypes. Think about like the what will be the process started before that. (laughs) So I'll say like a year and a half before that, but we were kind of like still figuring out things. It was first more like a, a school project that it ended up being into a company, but officially, officially, let's say January 2017. Production, we started actually last September. So we have one year doing the production.
1: Is it easier now, harder? I would imagine that conceptually it was maybe a little difficult to explain it to people before you had tangible products. Yes,
2: it was very is it, <sighs>
1: Has it been a big jump now
2: that you have tangible product for people to understand? So uh, to understand the concept, yes. It is very, very easy now compared to when we started at the beginning. It was very hard, especially because like the... Uh, when we're like thinking about industrial symbiosis, we were like trying to think, even like what what indutri- industry to start with, it took us a while. Uh, I'm a, as I told you, I'm a mechanical engineer. I'm kind of like my industry of choice is power plants, which is something that except if you're an, an engineer, you might not be so passionate about power plants. So I used to talk about the ashes of the power plants, what you can do with that, and I think I got everybody lost except the other engineers. Right. <laughs> uh, so fun, Like after actually we explore a bunch of industries, we kind of like say, okay, let's start beer. And then it was also like a little bit easier because people understand beer better than they understand power plants. <laughs> So now it's like even easier because we have, you know, tangible products that they can taste or they can smell or they can, you know, like you think you can put like oatmeal in their minds and they can imagine how it is. And flour, you know, like our since are people are way more familiar than ashes from power plants.
1: (laughs) Ashes from power plants. Yeah. I mean, people think about the power plant when the, when the power goes off or there's a <laughs> storm or something like that, but they don't think about it too much on the day to day. But I think everybody gets hungry a couple times a day and, you know, happy hour comes around almost every day. So yeah. I think probably brownies <laughs> and beer, you know, people think about much more frequently on a regular basis. You have plans to expand your upcycling options beyond spent grains, though. Yes. What's the next food item you're going to tackle yeah
2: so actually uh like the reason you know like kind of like when we were creating the process we were also thinking not just about beer but also about other uh byproducts from the beverage industry and also we were thinking about the fact that we are all from different parts of the world and like I'm from Ecuador, my co-founder is from India, my other one is from, the other one's from Ecuador, the one is from Lithuania. So we want also to have like something that is t- accessible to our countries. So we weren't trying to create like the most like state of the art that could only be accessible to a few countries. And we also wanted to create something that was not just about the beer, but about other byproducts. So we have tested our Process with byproducts of the distillery, uh, byproducts of the soy milk, byproducts of the wine, byproducts of the juice. And it it works. It's just like you have to change something like temperatures, times, like those variables. I think uh, one of the ones that we are actually already like have tested a few are the distilleries.
1: So distilleries for what types of alcohols? Um, uh, bourbon mm-hmm. uh, and that's a corn mash it's a
2: corn mash
1: and in that instance are you also creating a flour product a, or po- a, a powder product uh, a, a, so like a powder so yeah. in the case of corn it wouldn't I mean corn flour polenta that kind of thing
2: kind of like that mm-hmm. uh, and the other one that we're looking also like we have been also looking at is the soy milk byproduct, which is okara Uh, And
1: so the soy milk byproduct, is that a soybean paste, I'm assuming, something like
2: that? Kind of. uh, It looks like the constructed tofu, I'll (laughs) say. Okay.
1: Well, that makes sense, (laughs) since tofu is soybean.
2: Yeah. Uh, Of course, each of them has different uh, flavor profile. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But soy milk and barley has really, really similar uh, nutrition properties.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So everything throughout your different process, when you're looking at coffee or grape seeds or soy byproducts, you're ultimately going to be sorting and dehydrating everything and then grinding it into a flour.
2: Yeah, we, we have the capability to either grind it into a flour or to create like flake type formats, which some people, like some of the manufacturers that we are currently that they're currently testing. They preferred like this flake format because they also use it for texture.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So like a cornflake from the mash.
2: Kind of or like a, a snack a snack breakfast.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I would think that the soy milk would be really a great idea. Is, is which which is there more soy milk byproduct than beer? I mean, I think soy milk is just, or maybe I'm just aware of it because you see it so often everywhere oh. as the milk alternative.
2: Yes. I but see. is
1: beer still the biggest, biggest byproduct processing uh, industry?
2: Yes, because beer, so like, like uh, the first beverage of choice of everybody is water. Mm-hmm. Then we have coffee and tea, mm-hmm. and then we have beer. Okay. So <laughs> just because of the production. I think coffee is pretty big now, too, especially with all the cold brew and
1: the yes. packaged coffee and mm-hmm. the bottled coffee and the instant coffee. And then is that the same thing? You take the coffee grounds and you do like a, you do a dehydration process S- and then turn it into a flour.
2: Uh, with coffee, actually, we put it, uh, you know, like many of your cosmetics, the, the, the microbeads mm-hmm. are plastic. So actually we created uh, exfoliators like skin
1: scrub, face scrub, all of that when it has the little grains in it. Mm -hmm. Yes,
2: but those are plastic. Those are supposed
1: to, the plastic ones are supposed to be bad.
2: Yeah, but you can create a similar or from coffee. Okay. So then, you know.
1: Typically I see them as um, the natural ones that I see on the market are based on nut seeds, sort of like apricot scrub or walnut scrub. But you could use coffee and coffee is supposed to be good for your skin because of the caffeine element. Would it yes. still, does it still have caffeine in it or no? After it's been brewed and dehydrated and
2: a little bit, mm-hmm. um, like many things has, like they still have like the property. So for instance, like in the case of beer, uh, the main thing that is taken is the sugar. Right. That's the one you use to make alcohol Uh, but you know proteins and fibers like maybe like if a barley has I'll say like 23 it goes down to 21 so it doesn't go like all the way down so all of most of the things like kind of like there's one main element that is taken but there are other things that are still inside so you how many breweries are you working with now? Uh, we currently have work with uh, around 18 breweries in the city. There are a total of 31, 32 breweries in the city.
1: How many are there in the U.S.?
2: Oh, like 6,000 craft. That's amazing. 6,000 six, six something. Craft so breweries. you have
1: quite a ways to go to corner even just the U.S. market. Uh, yes. <laughs> What are the, what's the, what are the next six months, 12 months, 24 months look like for Rise?
2: Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, there's, a, so, well, one will be like, a, we're currently like a, doing fundraising to have our own okay. facility in New York, so we can also like take from, because currently we're in a chair kitchen facility so we want to be able to take more of what's here Uh, but we're also looking to move to other places uh, more like in the middle of America because most of the food manufacturers are in that part Uh, we are also looking into different regions because of. so we did have a we have a a publication in the New York Times a couple months ago, and people from all over the world reached out to us to say like, hey, can you help me install something? I have this type, Uh, some people have breweries, some people have other distilleries, so they have like other type of uh, like beverage, um, from the beverage industry. And it's something that we would like also like to help other people like because we know that we cannot do it all ourselves, you know. So it's something that we're looking like to see how we can like also like kind of use this process. And also like we we go there and we have also seen like, you know, what what is your end product? If your end product is going to be like to sell it to somebody else to use it, we tell you you should do a flower if your end product is to use it right away, maybe a flower is not your best option. Uh, so that's something that we're also like trying to think how we can leverage on this and at the same time help other countries or other regions of the world that maybe we can go but not like in the next, you know five years, you know.
1: So with the patent-pending technology, that means you're going to be able to own the machinery in the process, which means you could sell the machinery in the process to other companies, other people, other countries, or have a,
2: like a licensing. consulting arm yeah, where
1: yeah. you would go and yeah set, set up processes for other people.
2: So that's the idea, to have either like a, some sort of joint venture licensing arrangements, so we Or can. you just
1: charge people for the machines the same yeah. way, you know, somebody <laughs> buys an Instapot and. Yeah. Or somebody buys the coffee machine or. Yeah. Somebody buys the dehydrator.
2: Yeah. So that's kind of like the idea. But we're still kind of like figuring out how that will look like.
1: So, in order to really scale, you need to move into the manufacturing side on a larger scale. Yes. Yes. So, is that looking hopeful? Do people really understand? What your concept is? Do they are they excited about it?
2: I think uh, the people that understand manufacturing, mm-hmm. they understand it, you know, the reasons like they understand why. Uh, the problem is like not everybody understands manufacturing, and sometimes we have questions of like, if I give you two million dollars, that means I can ha- you can have a plan in a couple weeks, and you're right. like, uh, not <laughs> a exactly, plan doesn't work like that, <laughs> you know. You, like building a house takes long in my middle a whole line of production. So that, that's the part that is a little bit hard to explain to some people, especially because now most of the food manufacturers are based on co-packers. So it's different doing a co-packer venture than doing a manufacturing venture. So right. And it a
1: technology venture, creating yes. the
2: creating the technology and
1: the machinery yourself—that's a yes. whole other yes, thing as well. Yes,
2: that's a whole other beast. Yeah. Although
1: I would imagine that that would appeal to your to the design side.
2: Yes. <laughs> the
1: science and design side, because you're probably going to get to build a factory after all.
2: <laughs> well, I hope. Maybe not a power
1: plant, but a factory.
2: Yeah, not a power plant. That's gone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Could be further down the line. Well, if you are interested. In checking out Rise Products, you can find them, riseproducts.co, C-O. You can find them on social media, at Rise Products. It's an interesting story. I'm sure she would love to hear from you if you're interested in investing, selling her your spent grains or, you know, buying some product, or if you have some ideas. It's a really, really interesting um, idea, and there are so many, you know, millions and billions and billions of tons of different things out there that it's a it's a really really great idea if you have a great idea or an app that you like or you're a founder with an amazing food tech company and you'd like to be on the show reach out get in touch we're very interactive you can find us on social media at techbyteshrn you can email us techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We broadcast live every Thursday from our studio in Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. After that, you can find us at your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify. Check us out. Subscribe. Give us a great review. Come back and see us. The show is engineered by Amanda Wang. Our theme song is Nomad Nomada CPU track is by DJ Uptown Nico. I'm Jennifer Liuzzi, your host and producer, and this is Tech Bytes.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter.